listen to these words from the Apostle Peter. As you come to him, maybe you came to today to the Lord, seeking him in a new, fresh way. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you believe in this Jesus, you will not be put to shame. This is, this is the person that we must build our life on, is Jesus Christ. He is our cornerstone. Let's pray. God, with all, the, all around us that just is sinking sand, it's unstable, life is shifting so quickly, God. We know Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone. He's the hope for us. And God, I pray that today that you would help us to live out and proclaim his great messages. His message of good news. And that we'll be filled with great joy because of it. And so Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. That I would just be a mouthpiece. That you would receive all the glory as, Lord, we enter into your word together so that we can eat of it because your word is, is like bread for us, God. It's like living water for us, God. And we pray that you would, you would satisfy us deeply today and then we share this with others. We pray in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen and amen. Well, steak and potatoes and buttered chicken and fish and chips. And how about some pancakes because it's just after breakfast? What about lobster and sushi and pho? How about a good old hamburger? Peking, Peking duck. Massaman curry. Spaghetti. Are you hungry yet? These are some of the favorite foods in the world. And what if I told you that one of the ways that you can obey Jesus and bless others is simply to eat with others? You'd be like, sign me up, right? Especially if you're just checking out the Christian faith, you might be thinking, man, this is the type of religion I want to be a part of. Today we're going to talk about how we can bless others as we walk with Jesus. As we look through Luke chapter 10 verses 1 through 16 this whole month. As we look to bless others in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The acronym BLESS that we've been going through is something we first discovered from Daniel M. And he got it from Danny Ferguson at Christian Community Church in Chicago. And now... You can look up there and you can probably see. What, what's the B stand for? Help me with this. Begin with prayer, right? 
We are to always begin everything with prayer. And where God puts us, the place that we are in, we are to pray and to seek him and, and ask God to open up doors for us. Second of all, we're to listen for a need. We, we delve deeply into that last week as we listen and discover the needs of others and the places God is working so that we can bring Christ's kingdom power to bear in the situation. And I would encourage you as you pray and as you listen that you look for the crisis in your friends and neighbors and family members' lives. Those are intersections where the gospel of hope can help people. This E, as you can see, is eat. That we eat with others. I'll share my meals and spend time with people in my life. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get into serving those needs and we'll respond to the needs of others and help them in really practical and, and helpful and impactful ways. And then lastly, we got to get to the story. we got to get to the story of Jesus. All those other things are good works, but we really want to get to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're hoping that this, this whole strategy of blessing was be something that you do individually, but also as a church. This is what we want to do. We want to bless others in this regard. Luke records Jesus giving some very specific instructions to his disciples on how to share meals and time with people in their lives. And you might be saying, well, why is eating a discipleship strategy that Jesus is employing? Think about that for a moment. Why would Jesus use eating? Well, how did sin come into this world? Wasn't it through our first parents, Adam and Eve, who disobeyed God and ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? So when Jesus, the king, the redeemer, comes on the scene, he's like, I want to redeem it all. I'm going to start with food and the eating. Because what happened was that eating led to disfellowship. And as you know, the, the whole idea of eating has to do with doing so communally and in fellowship. I love how God redeems things. And so this is part of Jesus' plan. He's redeeming food and fellowship. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 4 through 8. We're going to read this. Um, and you can read it in your hard copy of God's Word. You just look at the table of contents. You can see it up on the screen. Um, but please stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 10, verses 4 through 8. This is what Jesus said to his disciples, the 72. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. He, he didn't live up north, right? So no sandals. And greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you eat a enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And may the word of God be food for us today, spiritual food for us today, and impact our life. You may be seated. Well, Jesus calls his disciples. He sends them out. And as they're going, they're supposed to be praying. 
They're supposed to be praying for more harvest workers to join them in the work. They're also supposed to be watching out for wolves. Wolves are the people who seek to devour us. This is what we see in the context in verses 1 through 3 of Luke chapter 10. As any good leader does, Jesus then gives his disciples some very specific instructions. And these instructions are the same principles for us today. So how do we eat with people in the community? The first instruction is this, to travel light. To travel light. Check out verse 4. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Why did Jesus tell the 72 disciples in verse 4 not to carry a money bag, a knapsack, sandals, or greet anyone on the road? Again, Jesus was giving his disciples very specific instructions and very practical instructions for their first missionary trip. By not carrying a money bag, let's talk about that first of all. By not carrying a money bag, the disciples would be less likely to be robbed or be accused, accused of robbing others. It also conveyed that their ministry was not to be marked by money. Sadly, too often people think that the church is all about money. It's all Jesus' followers are talk about. And yes, we should teach people to be good stewards of of the money that God has entrusted to us through financial discipleship. But the focus of our ministry is never money. It's God alone, isn't it? So that's why they were not to carry a money bag. Why were they not to carry a knapsack? Well, by not carrying a knapsack, the disciples were showing themselves to be in need. But also not seeking to take advantage of others' hospitality with a long-term stay. I mean, you, you can just imagine, if you, brought your, if you brought your sleeping bag and you brought this big backpack, you're like, well, I think they're going to stay a while. No, you, they're just here to get a meal. In fact, you didn't even have to, to worry about the, the early disciples, you know, um, having to fill their knapsack with all these gifts. It's very common to give a gift, especially in Middle Eastern culture. And without a knapsack, they're like, okay, we don't even have to worry about giving a gift away to this person. They can't carry it. What about this extra pair of sandals Jesus warns against? Well, by not taking an extra pair of sandals, the disciples are communicating they were not to take a long trip. And then by avoiding other travelers and possibly already known acquaintances, the disciples would not get distracted on their mission to reach new towns with the gospel of Jesus. Maybe some of us, we never get past our close friends and family in our relationships and fail to get on with the mission of the gospel. Like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings, we need to leave the Shire. All these specific tips were called to travel lightly. Uh, do you know, some of the best missionaries I know actually do the same practice today. They travel very lightly. They'll, they'll go for weeks and months on end, and they'll just have one carry-on suitcase. They learn to just pack so lightly, to have one or two sets of clothes, wash them. They were, they were following the same principle that their early disciples did. Except the early disciples traveled even lighter. 
they were totally dependent on their host and ultimately the Lord who would, who would provide for them through their host. Maybe this is a call to travel light, to not put pressure on ourselves to impress others, but to travel lightly. One of the things on my bucket list that I, I've, I've wanted to do for the last few years is um, walk the Camino. Anybody heard of the Camino? The Camino is um, pilgrims who walk uh, either, there's a couple different routes, um, either from starting in France and then through Spain. Another route is through Portugal. And they walk to the Cathedral Santiago de Compostola in northern Spain, where that's where it's said where the remains of the Apostle James, after he was martyred, were, were finally laid to rest. And pilgrims walk many kilometers each day, and each night the pilgrims, they stay in hostels. No one brings a suitcase. Maybe a, a small backpack, but there's no suitcases. And each night pilgrims get to eat with people from all over the world. Pilgrims on the Camino travel light, and in fact, learn by doing so how dependent they are on the Lord. By the end of their long walk, they actually shed most everything except for the clothes on their back. It's a, it's a, it's a getting rid of everything that is precious to them. Well, the disciples were to walk in a similar manner. It explains why the early disciples' excursions weren't long missionary trips. You know how trucking companies often um, advertise and giving the opportunity to drive for them and say, you know, you can be home. You can be home each night on your day trips. This may have been the case with the 72 disciples, which should explain how Jesus' missionaries would have been able to fulfill their mission, yet also take care of their families. Some sure had overnighters. We see that in verse 7. They remained in that house for some time. But most times, they were just having a meal with somebody and offering peace. Little is mentioned of Jesus' disciples other than the 12. These 72 didn't get much press in the New Testament. And that's actually the way Jesus wants for most of us. Many of us will just be unknown disciples here on earth. Not famous in the kingdom on earth, but famous in heaven. And that's glorious when we get to hear Jesus' words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jesus wanted his disciples to just go and offer God's peace to others and eat with others and not become celebrity foodies. Instead, the disciples were to consider themselves members of the family, not as intruders. And if their host wanted them back or to stay, they were to, to stay. So that's why they were to travel lightly. So how do we eat with people in the community? First, we travel lightly. Second, though, we also offer peace. And this is what we read. Jesus instructs his disciples in verse 5 and 6. Look at it. Check it out. Verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Here's essentially the disciples' message. We come in peace. We want to offer peace to you. We're not trying to sell you anything. And this is, the same, this is the same message we need to proclaim today. 
And the Gospel of Luke, peace is used as another way of salvation, much more than the, simply the absence of, of war or social discord. We, that's how we usually think about peace. No, peace from the disciples' lips was shalom. Shalom. Shalom means communal well-being. It's a gift of God upon his people to live in security and blessing and relational wholeness. The disciples are not giving a, a, a cheap sales pitch for the kingdom. They came in a stance of peace, offering themselves to the people in their neighborhood. Our Muslim friends often say, peace be upon him, or peace be upon you. This is a similar blessing, except our, our offer of peace is Christ's peace, which passes all understanding and is peace that we're offering that lasts for eternity. Notice verse 6, though. Not everybody will be receptive of our offer of peace, but there's a promise. Some will be, or one will be, the son of peace. The person known as the son of peace in today's, today's world, especially in missionary circles, is called the person of peace. So who are the persons of peace? Well, church planter Neil Cole explains, persons of peace are characterized by, by three things. A, they are people of receptivity. Receptivity. They're open to the message of the person and the person of Jesus Christ and his peace. Second of all, they are people of relational connections. So they're not only receptive, but they have relational connections. They know lots of people and are part and part of the community, for better or for worse. And then the third aspect of these persons of peace are they are people of reputation. They possess a reputation, whether it's good or bad. Can you think of some examples of persons of peace in the scriptures? Think of Lydia. How about Lydia? Remember in Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas, they go to Philippi, and they discover at the river where some women were praying, the place of, of prayer is what it was called, and they discover Lydia and some friends. And, and Paul and Silas, they share the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lydia receives the good news of Jesus Christ. And what does she do, this, this, this tremendous businesswoman? She goes home and proclaims this to her household. And her whole household is saved and baptized. Lydia was a person of peace. Another example is the Samaritan woman in John 4. Now, here was another known woman, but she's probably known for the wrong reasons in the community, right? But here Jesus goes and talks to her, and he offers her living water, which will truly satisfy. And after her discussion with Jesus, you know what she does? She goes back into the town, the town of Sychar, and she tells, hey, I want you to meet somebody who's known everything that I've ever, ever done. Wow, the community comes out and they, they meet Jesus. The Samaritan woman, we don't know her name, but she was a person of peace. How about Cornelius? Remember Cornelius? 
Cornelius was, was one of the first Gentiles mentioned in the book of Acts. He actually gets almost two whole chapters in the book of Acts in his, of his story. In Acts chapter 10, chapter 11, Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was upright, and the scriptures say he was God-fearing man and one of the first Gentiles to come to faith in Christ. And when he did, he shared again with his household. And his whole household was saved and baptized. He was a person of peace. So those are some examples of persons of peace. But here's my favorite. This is my absolute favorite person of peace in the, in the New Testament. Remember the guy that Jesus meets? He, he crosses the Sea of Galilee, goes to the Gerasenes, and he meets a man with a legion of demons in him who's running around naked in a cemetery, cutting himself. And Jesus evicts all of those demons, those legion of demons. They, they're sent into a herd of or swine, and, and those swine, they, they go off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee, and then in one of the most comical statements, this man is now free and he's clothed and sitting in his right mind. And then it says the people were scared. <laughs> now they're scared. They're not scared so much of the naked guy running around cutting himself in the cemetery. Do you not think that the people would want to hear what happened to him? They all knew him. He was a man, a person of peace. So who might be some examples of persons of peace in your life? Maybe you need to write those down today. If I was going into a new situation or community, I would probably go to the barber or hairstylist because they often know lots of people, don't they? So who in your community knows the most amount of people? Could be for bad or for good. Pray to the Lord to lead you to this person. Identify them and then offer peace. Maybe it's that coworker, you know, who everybody knows and everybody loves. Or maybe it's the bully at school as you guys go back to school tomorrow. And he or she is so lonely and always, always trying to get attention. Maybe it's time to offer peace to them, to offer the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Can you imagine what, what would happen if they came to faith in Christ? And say, what happened to you? You were so mean. And then they start to tell about Jesus. Do you see how this works? This is a disciple strategy that missionaries still use today. A person of peace may eventually embrace God and become ambassadors for his kingdom. But if they do not give their lives to Christ, at least they'll, they'll make access for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So let them host you and offer peace. We're supposed to travel lightly, Jesus says. We're second of all to offer peace. And the third is to stay as long as we're wanted. Stay as long as we're wanted. This is what verse 7 makes clear. Look at it. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. The thing that Jesus forbids is that the disciple keep going from house to house, hunting out the best quarters, Casting reproach on the Lord and his message. You know, you can imagine, right? Um, I kind of like your house. Can you introduce me to somebody else? That's, that's going to bring shame on the gospel. 
Furthermore, the house, whether it be poor or rich, the disciples are entitled to what is offered. As people would watch the disciples' lives, the character of Jesus would become evident and be very attractive to them. The questions that people have about Jesus would then be answered and, and objections would be overcome. There's so much benefit to staying as long as you're wanted. I, I'm a big believer on long-term ministry just for this sake. This principle is found. Of course, don't wear out your welcome. But give your time to those receptive to the gospel in your ministry. We read in the book of Acts that this is the practice of the apostles. They would stay in a certain city to, to try to share the gospel as long as they could with people. Think of, think of how the apostle Paul stayed in Ephesus for two years, according to Acts 19.10. Another example is Iconium. In Iconium, where Paul and Barnabas remained a long time, the scriptures said, until people got divided over him, over them, and they threatened to mistreat and stone them. So stay as long as you're wanted, and the gospel's being received. And while there, follow Jesus' instructions in the passage to this, this fourth instruction. Eat what is set before you. That's what it says, right? Look at it, verse 8. You thought your mama made this up. It's straight from the scripture. Whenever you eat, enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now, I remember how this helped me. My mom actually gave me this advice. I remember the first time that I was invited over to somebody's house by myself. Not just with my family, but the first time I was invited to somebody's house. It was for Sunday dinner. And it was one of my closest friends. And my mom said, mind your manners. So you say please and thank you and eat whatever is set before you. So I still remember what was set before me. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Who likes meatloaf here? Okay, wow. I don't want to be dogging on meatloaf at all today. You guys love meatloaf. Could have put that in some of your favorite foods. Well, I remember eating it every last bite. And they didn't even have ketchup to put on it. <laughs> we know how important it's to do our best to accept the food offers. This is, uh, uh, giving food is actually an act of love, isn't it? You think about it, even how you give food to others. Do you give like your worst dish to people when you invite them over? No, you give the best dish, right? You usually spend time getting this meal all together. That's what people do when they host you. And this is what would have happened back in that day as well. I know I've when I've traveled internationally to some of the poorest places on earth, I realized that the food that's being provided for me is something that my host has actually sacrificed to get for me. And, and I, I can still picture the little kids' faces. They'd peek like around the door or through the window and they'd just... Their eyes were big as they looked at all the food there. They hadn't eaten such a big meal. And so that they were, they were longing for that food. And, it, and no matter how hungry you are, all of a sudden you don't feel hungry as much when you see those little, little kids who are hungry. But you know that you need to eat so as not to offend your host. And so what you do is you actually, you take some of it and you thank them profusely and then you make sure you leave some because for the next few days, that's what that family is going to eat. That was the practice 
in the Near Eastern culture, and that's one we would still practice around the world today. Does this mean we always like what the food set before us? Uh, no, I recall being in one family's home in another country, and they serve stew. Now, I'm not a huge fan of stew, and there are a few reasons for that. First of all, if God wanted us to have stew, he would, not, he would have put potatoes and meat together, but you were supposed to separate those babies, okay? So that's one reason. And I know my logic is, is totally fallible because when we put in recipes together, we're putting all sorts of ingredients, okay? But keep the meat and the potatoes separate. The second reason is because in the Bible, stew is biblically linked to false pretense, right? Remember, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And I don't want to have any false pretense. And then the last reason, since I was very little, I've had friends by the name of Stu, and I know they're spelled differently, but it did, I can't get over it in my mind, okay? <laughs> now, speaking of one's mind, much of what we eat has to be agreeable to our minds and not just our taste buds and our noses and stomachs. This became apparent to me when I was at Moody Bible Institute and we had a missions class. Frank, you're going to like this. It's called Biculturalism. And uh, our professor, Ray Badgero, came in very first class and he handed a bag, a Ziploc bag. And we had no idea what it was. He says, I want each one person to take, take this out of, uh, a piece out of this out of the bag and eat it. And uh, some of the students in the front row, they, they took it and they started eating it and I could see why they weren't really enjoying it. And, and he gave them a hard time, every, every student. And I was actually the last person in the class to get the bag. And I was like, I'm not going to have to deal with the, the professor's grief, so I'm just going to eat it. And after we all taken a bite, he told us, do you know what that, now he told us two things. He said, when you're a missionary, don't ask what is it, okay? Because if you do, you might be very disappointed. The second thing he's told us was, now that you've all eaten, I'm going to tell you what you just ate. Those are some dried caterpillars from Africa. Now, what I learned from that was actually those caterpillars weren't bad. They actually kind of tasted like potato chips, a little bit salty. The principle that we learned in that class was often the food that we don't like is just in our mind. And so this is important to remember. For the sake of the gospel, we need to eat what is set before you. Most of us won't have that problem. Most of us like our food, right? I do. I've enjoyed how much my future son-in-law makes himself at home and eats whatever he likes from our fridge and pantry and dinner table. And I tell him never to leave our house hungry. And he never does. <laughs> His is the attitude we all need to have. I like what Matthew Smithhurst tweeted this week. God did not give us the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. So we build bomb shelters in the backyard. He gave us this book so that we build bigger dinner tables and share the love and message of Jesus Christ with our friends and neighbors. Of course, Matt is describing giving hospitality, whereas today's message is focused on receiving hospitality it's actually an act of humility to be served by others. But this is the principle is, is still true. Whether you're the host or the guest, eat what is set 
before you. Eat with others in the community. Now some of you say, well, John, how do we do this during COVID? We have all these restrictions. We can't eat together. I'd love to eat a meal with, each, with somebody. Well, I love what I heard one family do, what does. Every week through Zoom, they actually have a meal together with their family. Spread out far and wide. So maybe this is the application for us. We either invite somebody or we, we seek an invitation to eat online. Eat a meal. See, Jesus wants to redeem the time. We all have spend our time eating. God wants to redeem that time for his kingdom to share his peace and his love. As we conclude this message on sharing how to bless others by eating with the community, community, let's remember that the Lord Jesus welcomed us to his table. He wants us to come with nothing in hand. Uh, we don't need to make our case that we are worthy for his hospitality. He simply loves and he welcomes us. We travel light, don't we? If you think about the cross, we are to, to travel lightly, even empty, as we come to the cross and say, I can't earn this. I can't earn a place at the table. It's something that is just given to me, that I'm just welcome there. And Jesus offers us such a welcome. He offers us such peace, reconciling us to God the Father through his own death. And he calls us to stay as long as we're wanted. And here's some really good news. We will be wanted forever and ever in God's family. And we eat what is set before us. Even if we don't like that tasteless wafer that you all have in your hands or the unfavorable juice that I hear about from my family because we recall that Jesus' broken body and shed blood was bittersweet, right? We eat this meal together and thus we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.